Uh, in two days' time, you all probably know what's happening in two days. Anzac Day? Uh, no, it's, I know. It takes it, when someone asks you a question like that, it just takes time to think what is happening. In t- it's the 25th of April, uh, Anzac Day. Uh, most of you would be aware what Anzac means. It's abbreviation for Australian and New Zealanders, all the New Zealanders said. Just for a sec, all the New Zealanders said. Amen. Not much better. (laughs) Samoans, all Islanders said New Zealand. Anyway, it stands for Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. I just had to think for a moment. Uh, We celebrate it every year and... uh, uh, we've got to be appreciative, hey, of what men and women have done over the decades, well, not decades, but over the, through the war, those wars, and particularly uh, First World War, Second World War, and, and now, of course, whether it was Papua New Guinea and uh, Afghanistan and all that's happened. And, and Anzac Day is an opportunity just to, to remember and be thankful. It's a day of thanks. And they tell me it's getting bigger and bigger. More and more people are involving themselves at Anzac Day. Younger and younger people are involving themselves. And I thought, why would that be, be so? And, and, and really, um, family, this morning, I really think Anzac Day, I think we identify with Anzac, the guys and the women who sacrificed their lives, is because of the identity that comes with uh, associating with Anzacs. Because people who were in Anzacs were people of courage and sacrifice and honor and commitment and mateship, weren't they? And they, they're the kind of um, attributes that we all want to identify with, aren't they? Those type of attributes are incredibly powerful and wonderful when they are displayed in someone's life towards other people. And, and to be honest, they just weren't set in place and in history's um, past by the Anzacs, by the people who went to war. But it's really was set in place when God created humanity because they're the values of God, of courage and, and love and, and honor and commitment, aren't they? That's God. God had it written a long time before we established it on the beach of, beach of Anzac Cove on the 25th of April, uh, 102 years ago, would you believe, 102 years ago this year. So I, uh, I don't glorify war, but I'm just thankful for the men and women who went to war. Because they've given an opportunity, they wouldn't have given a chance, uh, you know, if there wasn't a war, they wouldn't have gone, but they went because they just wanted to make sure Homeland was safe. And, and I'm just thankful for that. I know that some of you have served, I know Malcolm served, uh, you know, in Asia a little bit. Yeah, I know you said I was driving a truck, but far out, that's like, you're still there. And others, maybe your relatives, your friends, or some other people have served in some way, and we remember them. And so it is a day to remember and to be thankful. And, uh, you know, Australia, uh, every Anzac will gather around statues, probably similar to this one, um, a statue of the, it's the unknown soldier, isn't it? the men or the women who didn't come back. And underneath these statues, all over Australia, you'll see um, the names of men and women who are inscripted there. And they didn't, they're the ones who didn't return. Um, they, they represent something valuable to our community of Australia. It says Australians are willing to suffer and sacrifice so that we could live. That's a very similar story to the gospel, isn't it? But an incredible story, uh, no doubt, and a wonderful story. Um, and there's usually an inscription above these, uh, underneath these statues, and it's just three words, and it says, lest we forget. We don't want to forget them. And every Anzac, that's what Anzac Day is about. I oh, will grab a drink of water. Thanks, honey. Did you mind? 
Is that a coffee there? Oh, it was. Oh. Oh. <coughs> oh, here's the water. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Shah, I did drink out of your water bottle before. It's got, I've got one coming. I've got one coming. Oh, George has got a brand new water bottle. Oh, thank you. It's cold. Oh, you're a champion. <laughs> oh, we can put them down there. Sorry, folks, I just... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> so, so, lest we forget, you know, there's something in the Bible, there's a, there's a story of an unknown soldier in the Bible. We don't know his name. And... Uh, and I think God put it in the Bible uh, because he doesn't want us to forget the story. But it's not so much even remembering the man. Just like we, we remember the people that sacrificed their lives for, in the, for Australia and New Zealand. But the truth is, what we remember about them is the, is the attributes that they displayed. And the same with this unknown soldier in Scripture. It's the attributes that he displayed that are incredibly powerful. In actual fact, Jesus said something about this man. He said, this man, I have never seen such trust and faith um, in all of Israel, he said. That's what he said about this man. Man, this guy stands above the pack. Because I've never seen such great faith like this guy displayed. And yet he was a soldier. He was a centurion of a um, hundred men, at least a hundred men. He, looked, he, he, was, had, uh, he was the commanding officer there. So uh, let's look at this soldier. Um, he's placed him in the Bible and, and he doesn't have a name. But I think God put him there because he doesn't want us to forget not just about the man, but about the attributes and the incredible qualities he reflected, because they're the same qualities that God wants reflected in our lives today. So, can we go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 10, and then verse 13? So much water, I'm confused which one to drink. <laughs> um, it says, um, when Jesus arrived at Capernaum, if, it's up on the screen, but I encourage you to look at your own Bible. When Jesus arrived in Capernaum, which is on the kind of like the top end of the Sea of Galilee, there, right on the shoreline, on the um, on the west, uh, the northwestern coast, a Roman officer or a centurion and pleaded with Jesus and said, "Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralysed and racked with pain." There'll be different versions will have those those verses a little different, but the similar meaning. And Jesus said, "You know what? It's the first time I've seen Jesus." Um, so direct with the person in regard to healing. He says, oh, come and heal him. Didn't say that to Mary and Martha. When Lazarus, he stayed four days where he wasn't, Lazarus died. But he says to this guy, to this centurion, you know what, I'll come and heal him. <clears throat> then the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come in, into my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Wow. I know. And then the centurion gives an explanation of why he said that. He said, I know because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over, I have authority over because I'm under the authority of my, sorry, I have authority over my soldiers as well. I only, I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, uh, do this or that, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, it's not easy to amaze the Son of God or God himself. He was amazed and he turned to the crowd and he said, you know what? I tell you, this is the truth. I haven't seen faith or trust like this in all the land of Israel. 
And then he said, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go on home. What you, what you have believed has happened. And the young servant was healed the, that same, what? Hour. Okay. Here's a soldier who dared to believe Jesus. He, and he lived at the time of Jesus. He was part of the Roman Empire, part of the Roman army. So let's build our statue to him. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's build a statue this morning to this man and see what, kind of, what really makes him tick, what really, how he functions, and let's be inspired and encouraged by the realities and truths of him as we uh, ourselves are going to uh, remember our Anzacs. So the very first thing is the given, but it's such an important thing. I think it's so simple that sometimes we forget about this very important attribute in life and we just walk on past sometimes and don't think about it because, you know, life gets very busy. And here's the attribute that this Roman centurion had incredible compassion. Incredible compassion. And I, I want to say that this man was not a common man. He was above the pack. You know why? He, he was not a common man because the kindness he showed towards his servant was not a common thing. Romans and, and slaves, I mean, if you had... A, I mean, the pecking order was, in those days when Jesus walked on the earth, it was Romans and then the Jews and then the Gentiles and then the slaves and the servants at the bottom. And the servants were ill-treated, mistreated, abused, and they could be, and law allowed them to be, um, you know, if they died, they died, you just get another one. Um, they were treated horrifically. I mean, I've been to the Colosseum in Rome and Michelle and I walked around the inside of that that place and just saw where they took some of the servants and slaves and used them and treat them as just things where they were abused and murdered and, and, and horrifically slaughtered in that arena. You know, servants, it was, if you were a servant, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good place to, to be. I, and yet we see this Roman officer, his attitude towards his servant, because servants, generally servants were just there to do the task and if they died or they're ill-treated that wasn't a problem no there was no laws that you couldn't ill-treat a servant that's why we see in old testament jesus started to bring laws in sometimes we get we can look at old testament and say oh there's servants and slaves and god talks about how we should treat slaves why they got slaves no folks whatever they got was far better than what they used to have under god's principles so we see this slave um, was treated kindly, which is an uncommon thing of the day. He had great compassion. In, within the heart of this Roman officer was an incredible capacity to love and help and care for people. He, he was uncommon in his day. and it, What an incredible thing. See, this is the point. Oh, I, we've been given a mandate, you and I. We've been given a mandate to show God's love and mercy and kindness to other people. Now you say, well, I know that, but folks, I say it sometimes, but do we ever really do it? Do we do it? Maybe we do, but let me challenge you. We have an opportunity as the believers of, uh, in Jesus Christ, while we're still alive, to care and embrace others and not just meet their physical and felt needs, but to see that, the, that we can meet their needs, but in that we've got to help them see that there is also an incredible need within their soul and spirit to receive and re the goodness and the love and the kindness of God into their lives. And when you touch the felt needs of people, you touch their soul and you give them an opportunity to actually share with them the incredible love of what God has given us it's a wonderful avenue into people's hearts and we've been given the mandate to do that just have compassion on people and you know when we we're a part of giving them physical comfort we can also be a part of giving them eternal security because ultimately that's what people need 
there was the great commission that Jesus gave people and the disciples before he left. He says, go into all the world. What's your world? It's just your neighbors and it's just your friends and it's just your family sometime. We all can't travel to the inner parts of Africa, but we can travel to the inner homes of some of those people around us. We can. And, have to, and all it takes is a little bit of compassion sometimes and kindness to people who are in need. I uh, part... Because people all over this world today are looking for a future and a hope. They're looking for a future and a hope. It's a huge part, part of their life. In actual fact, if you're still breathing today, if people are still breathing, it, it, they can wake up with some kind of hope. They're going to live that day. They're not going to do away with themselves. They've got some hope. But people, we've got to show people what they're hoping is. It's temporary because you, you can only hope in God eternal, and that's eternal and not temporary. See, we hope sometimes in what this world gives, but it's never going to give you what we were singing about this morning, heaven. So... I was standing in a news agency this week and I was waiting in line. Just There's only one person in front of me. There was an elder gentleman there and he was buying his gold lotto. And, um, and um, there was nothing strange about that. But what was a little bit awe-inspiring for me, he just didn't buy one. He bought at least four different types. You know, there's a whole lot of variety of gold lotto or whatever they call them. There's tickets you can buy. I, you can see I'm really into it. <laughs> and he was buying one and two and three and four. And I thought, far out, buddy. What are you dreaming? And I couldn't help but thinking he's dreaming about winning his million so that he can, you know, probably, he probably already is retired, but he could live out his days in luxury. And I thought that's what his hope is. And there's probably nothing wrong with that dream, but it's just that, it's just the trouble is it's temporary. It's just a temporary dream because you can't take your money with you. Never seen anybody in a coffin with millions of dollars. And I just thought about this elderly gentleman. I just thought, oh, sir, I admire your dream. It's a good dream, but it's just temporary dream. And, you know, there's people, they're looking for their riches. And you know what it says in Scripture? It says in Romans 2, 4, don't you know that the richness and the kindness of God, the richness of his kindness leads people to repentance? You know, we've got to help people see that that's not the temporary richness, but there is an eternal richness in God, and it's through repentance and loving and accepting and receiving Jesus Christ. And it all comes down to us because we're His voice and His mouthpiece to continue to bring that message through uh, to people today. The mandate to have compassion on people. I just want to say that, you know, this centurion had incredible capacity for compassion on people. And I think it's so wonderful that we have a compassion for people, have a love for people. Don't let people screw you up and mess you up and get offended because, folks, it'll mess you up and you'll never outreach to anybody. You've got to say, people are worth loving. I've decided in life I'm going to hold some people lightly and, uh, because sometimes they just move on and, I, and, and, and love them dearly. That's what I've made my mandate for life. Love them, hold them lightly sometimes, love them dearly because you've only sometimes got them for a little season but continue to love them. Your kids are your first testimony and opportunity to, to continue to swim to Christ. Amen. So, compassion for people, because of the kindness of God, leads people to repentance. I find the devil, he, you know, the devil does not want to say to people, God, it doesn't exist. The devil actually is happy if people think God exists, because all he wants to do in their heart is he wants to make sure that they, they he wants to screw up their thinking so that they think God is just a mean, terrible, nasty God. He doesn't mind if they believe in God, oh, believe in God, but just make sure you have a bad attitude about him. That's what the devil does. He's not trying to discredit 
God doesn't exist. He just wants to make sure people hate God. And you know what? Because he knows that, the, because the devil knows that that's the very thing that God can't do is hate people. And sometimes I suppose we blame God for all the pain, and we blame God for all the causes, uh, death, sickness, etc. And the same God we can raise our fists, not literally. I don't think many people do that these days, unless you're really mad at God. Raise our fist to God and blame Him for what's happened is the same God that we sometimes lift our voice in praise to, to God when things are going well. And God just, it couldn't be so far from the truth. People, would you settle in your heart today that we have a kind God? Romans 2, 4 says, the kindness of God, the richness of His kindness. He has a rich amount of kindness extended towards us. And, if, and we're the, the, the mantle from which He can flow with the richness of His love. He's given us the Holy Spirit to do that. People in our lives who we could love and care for and, and just reach out to. And He's not some harsh deity, but He's a loving Father. He's not some... In actual fact, He says, this kindness has got to be in you. He says, I've given you the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness. The attributes that this soldier was displaying, this centurion was displaying to a man who was his servant, that he had every right just to let die because he can just get another one. He said, no, I want him to live. And I'm going to have compassion on him. And I'm going to go to the source that I've heard this Jesus can heal. I, I, I went to a, a movie last year. I probably honestly get to two or three movies at the theatre uh, a year. Um, that sometimes just the reality, I just don't get time. But I do like it. I'll, I'll, probably one of the reasons is I I'll only go and see a movie if it's if it's a really good movie. That would be something I could I could just gain something from. And there was a movie called Hackstall Ridge. Who's seen it? I wouldn't go to you know I wouldn't go um, necessarily if you don't want to just don't go if you don't think you're going to be shocked because the gruesome <laughs> reality of war is shown on the big screen, really. Mel Gibson has a habit of doing that. He was the producer. Um, and so I went and saw this um, movie, and I went by myself because I understood Michelle doesn't look the, like necessarily the gruesome pictorial views of what war can do to people and men and women. And so I, I, I went and watched it, and I was inspired by it. But I'm not so silly as to think that that's how the story unfolded. So I went and I researched about a guy called Desmond Doss, who was the, um, who was the, um, he was the main character in the movie of Hacksaw Ridge. And I got the facts. It's always a good thing. When you see a good movie, I always uh, do a bit of research to see how much Hollywood got right. And Hollywood got about 65 to 70% right in Hacksaw Ridge, okay? So it was a great movie, true story. It's about American army that had to go to an island off Japan uh, to push back the Japanese. It was an island called Okina, O-K-I-N-A-W-I, Okina, or Okino, whatever. Uh, it was the Second World War, and there was a young American man. He was born 1919, died 2006. So not too many years ago since he died. His name was Desmond Doss. He he had a heart to go to war in the Second World War because he wanted to simply be there for his fellow man. He didn't want to take up arms. He refused to take up a rifle. He didn't want to shoot a bullet in, in angst against anybody, so he never did. He was, he was cruelly um, ridiculed because of that, but still they let him go to war as a medic. He was an ambulance officer on the field, and so he trotted off. And He had an incredible capacity, um, Desmond Doss, for loving people and helping people. 
It says that at the age of 17, just before he went to war at about 19 years of age, yeah, there was a, uh, it was in his hometown, the radio station was on and it called out the people, the hospital, local hospital needed blood. Uh, there had been an accident on the main highway just near his town. A woman was dying, she needed a blood transfusion. He walked five kilometres that morning to the hospital, gave his blood for that woman and walked back 5k. Two days later, there was another call on the radio, the hospital needs more blood. He was the person who walked 5Ks there and 5Ks back to give his blood. I'd be flat out walking after giving blood, I think, you know, let alone 5Ks. But, you know, he just had an incredible capacity as a young man to help and, and care for people. And so we see when he finally was enlisted, they sent him off to this island off Japan, off the um, south of the mainland of Japan. And uh, there we see the, the um, battalion of soldiers. He was the medic. He was a couple of medics. He was one of them. Were confronted with a 100-meter cliff. They had to climb this cliff and get over the top into the battlefield, which was heavily fortified and uh, uh, patrolled by the Japanese. And so the Japanese uh, was interesting. When they finally got up at the cliff and into the battle zone, the Japanese were totally focused on killing the Americans. It's pretty gruesome, as was displayed in the movie itself. It said that the Americans were literally cut in half because of the Japanese fire was so intense. Desmond Doss walked among the dead and found people like that. It was not a nice scene. Um, and it, it talks about how the Japanese Desmond Doss, Doss was interviewed before the movie was made. And it talks how uh, Desmond said the Japanese had worked out that if they shot the medics first, they would bring a whole lot of, uh, they would break the morale of the um, soldiers. And the reason being is was the medics were the one who were the encouragers and the supporters of the guys when they're laying um, wounded on the battlefield. And so they'd often shoot the medics first. They'd even, Desmond said he saw them, the Japanese allow soldiers to walk past so they could pick off the medics. And so all the Americans soon learned to take their armbands off, get rid of the red crosses and just be like any other soldier. So we see that this man, this young man Desmond Doss, faced um, incredible odds uh, against him and uh, under heavy fire. He, he, he went back and forwards from the cliff face, um, just uh, gal- you know, gathering these guys who were in, in, um, had been wounded or, or uh, you know, lost limbs and all types of stuff. He was, he was relentless in his desire and passion to help those who were dying on the battlefield. And, um, and what happened one day was finally all the Americans had to retreat because of the heavy military um, bombardment of mortars and hand grenades and uh, you know, machine gun fire. And, and uh, the truth is, Desmond Doss didn't go down the cliff face with the rest of his guys. That bit is true in the movie. He said, this is what he said in his interview, I had these men up there and I couldn't leave them. I didn't feel like I should value my life above my buddy, so I decided to stay with them and take care of many of them as I could. Desmond Doss had found a way to single-handed that day save roughly, unlike the movie, it was about a hundred and some, he saved roughly 75 wounded comrades while under heavy mortar and gunfire. And he saved them one at a time. Do you know how long that took for him to? 12 hours non-stop. One every 10 minutes, he'd rush, he'd go into the battlefield, he'd find a, a, more, a wounded soldier and he'd drag him back to the cliff face and drop him down with a rope. That part of the movie is correct. He'd done this around 75 times over 12 hours. He found, he, he, he considers it a miracle. I, I forgot to mention, did I mention that he was a strong Christian? <laughs> oh, didn't I? <laughs> that helped. He was a seven-day Adventist. They love God. And he loved God with all his heart. And he, in his Christian faith is shone on the battlefield. 
where the men that had ridiculed him months before on the, on the, um, when he's training were the same men that clapped him and honoured him. And when he reached some of those men who'd ridiculed him and they're wounded on the battlefield, they looked at him and said, mate, you're an angel. And he'd drag them over the, to the cliff face and drop them down and go back again. And as he, each time on the cliff face, some of the things he'd say was, God, just give me one more before I die. Give me one more. And he'd go back again and get one and come back. What an incredible compassion he had. Do you know he's the only army, first American army medic to ever receive the Medal of Honor from the President of the United States, who was Truman at the time. He's the only guy, only, the first one, I should say, not the only one, the first one. Desmond Ross, uh, Doss, I should say, uh, faced incredible odds. And he himself says, I only tell this story because I want to give glory to God. That's what he says in, 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 to Mel Gibson in his view. I tell this story to the glory of God because I know from the human standpoint, I should not be here. Desmond Doss, it was, finally, he was in a bunker with three other soldiers. The Japanese were you know, raining hand grenades, and one of the hand grenades lobbed into their bunker. Do you know what Desmond Doss did? All he had time to do was put his leg over the top of the hand grenade. He, he, well, he just stretched his foot back because he wanted to save the other guys. It didn't blow it off, but they extracted 17 pieces of shrapnel from his leg. So maybe the hand grenade was face down a bit and, and it kind of helped. But he, was, he, he gave himself so much. He finally was, um, out of that wound, when he was wounded with the hand grenade, he couldn't continue to function. Do you know they were pulling him back? The other medics were pulling him back to the cliff edge to drop him over. He saw a soldier that was wounded. He rolled off his, off his little um, stretcher attended to the soldier, rolled back on, and they took him. I mean, this guy had a heart for others, folks. He had a heart for others. Incredible compassion. Incredible compassion. I want to say, have you got a heart for others this morning? This centurion had a heart for others. I want you to see beyond the struggles of people and see their real needs. The, you know, sometimes we think, oh, can they ever be helped? Yeah, they could. They can because we... Can, you know, it's not our kindness, but we can have the kindness of God in us. It, the Bible says it's the richness of His kindness, richness of His kindness that draws people to repentance. What about us? What about us? May we have that richness. Here's the second thing I just want to share with you this morning about this man, the soldier, unknown soldier. Important point. He gave up his entitlement. This centurion gave up his entitlement. You know what entitlement is? It's anything that you think you're entitled to. And we're entitled to a lot of things in life. We're entitled to a lot. But look at the centurion. It says, The officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. And I know because I'm under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my officers. So I only need to say, go and they go or come and they come and my slaves do this and they do it. So here's, here's a group of people who, the soldiers, who all soldiers understand this. They understand they cannot assume that they are entitled to anything because once you get on the battlefield, folks, the commanding officer will say, do this and you know what, you do it. You mightn't even want to do it or you I don't like to do it, but because your commanding officer said you're obedient to it. And, and you know, that's what soldiers are like, aren't they? They'll do it. I'm, I'm glad that they do because they know if they do what the commanding officer says, it could mean that the, it's a matter of life and death sometimes. And the today's society, um, I mean, we need to follow that. that that's an incredible example. You know, our, our Heavenly Father has given us a whole book of things that we could be obedient to. But you know what? This is where it differs. He's not, even though he's a commanding officer of our lives, you know what, if we don't do it, he doesn't force us. He gives us a, a right to make a decision. 
But the only reason he'll ask us to do it is because if you do, he knows it'll work out well for you. That's why he asks you to do it. But he doesn't force us. It's a little different to the, to the, to the string of command in, in the officers uh, in the army. So this, this officer, this centurion, he was, in, you know, he was entitled to say this and this and this, but he never took that entitlement. He gave up his entitlement as a commanding officer in many ways. And I want to just talk to you about it. the centurion. It, it, he was Roman. The slave was a Jew. He could have just, well, my entitlement by law says that the Jew could just be discarded with and I'll get another one. My servant, I don't have to look after him. No, he didn't do that. He gave it up. He gave it up and said, hey, I want to see this guy healed. His entitlement. This is where I'm going. In today's society, we see people say, well, I don't want to have people tell me what to do. I don't want to live my life with a set of boundaries and rules. I'm entitled to do what I want to do, when I want to do, do it. As long as I don't hurt anybody else, I'm just entitled. And you know what? You are. You have entitlements. You're entitled to do things. But I want to just say this. When we place our entitlement first, we can neglect to do what God asks us to do. And it's the simple things like respect others, pray for others, don't resist anyone if they ask for help. Well, I'm entitled not to help them because, man, I'm entitled. I don't have to go and, you know, get dirty or get in the mud with that. I don't have to. I'm entitled to at least have that. Well, you are. But when you hang on to what you're entitled to, it can interrupt what God wants you to do. Don't despise those who are worse off than you, the Bible says. Honor others before yourself. Well, I'm entitled to honor myself before others. Well, you are. But when you do, it gets in the road. I can go to work and, I, and the boss has got no, no reason to talk to me like that. You're right. He shouldn't talk to you like that. But you know, when you give it up and maybe just do something positive to that guy who's so nasty to you, maybe something will crack in his heart too. When you get, not to be walked on, not to be stamped on. No, I'm talking about sometimes giving up our entitlements, giving up what we think, oh, well, I'm going to have my way here. See, the centurion didn't assume that Jesus would heal his servant. He saw himself as needing grace because he was, wasn't worthy of even Jesus coming into his home. And what a great example of a man with great authority, yet was willing to not take up that authority because of personal gain, but to give it up so that someone else may benefit. That's what I'm talking about. He gave up his entitlement as a Roman centurion and said, no, nah, I'm going to go out and find this guy and find Jesus Christ and get this guy healed. I love that. Do you know what Jesus Christ says in Philippians? It's Paul says about Jesus Christ. He did not consider equality with God as something to be hold on, held on to. He didn't assume his entitlement as the Son of God or even as God. But he says he, he, he gave himself, taking up the nature of a servant and a human being. And in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death, even death on a cross. He gave up his entitlement. Folks, can you see how important that is? I had a statement here. When we place our entitlement first, we neglect to do what God sometimes wants us to do. And I pray, don't, uh, this is my prayer, that sometimes I, I pray we'll realize, pray that we'll realize that our, and the things, when we, if we don't give up sometimes our entitlement, it's it'll stop us in life, we'll become rigid and, and, and hard sometimes about life, and because, oh, and this is my rights, this is my rights. And you know, when we give that up, if we don't give that up, 
we find that we never bow to the opportunity of serving Jesus Christ and taking about cross and surrendering our lives because I've got my right. It can stop us from that. I'm not talking about being squashed and stamped on and abused. No, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about just everyday life. You know, when the person cuts you off in traffic, are you entitled to give them a rip? Yep, you are. Why not just give them a smile instead and give up your entitlement? That's the kind of stuff. There's a guy called, a guy called John Simpson Kilpatrick, affectionately known as Simpson and his donkey. He landed on Anzac Cove in two days' time, just 102 years ago, 25th of April. He was only a young man, he was only 22, and 22, and they wrote about him in a book called Glorious Deeds of Australia in the Great War. And this is what they said, when the sniper fired, so Simpson and his donkey, the story is, he was a medic, okay, and he'd go out and rescue guys and put them on his donkey and bring them back to the little medic tent down on the beach at Anzac Cove. We, most of us would know the story, but... Um, it, it, it writes in the book this, it says, When the sniper fire down the valley was at its worst, and the orders were posted that the ambulance men were not to go out. So the commanding officer said, No more medics out there in the field. You're going to get killed. Simpson ignored the orders, and he and his donkey continued placidly with their work. At times they had trenches of hundreds of men spellbound, just to see how they, they, they went out and saved lives. There the wounded lay motionless in an open patch of ground, in easy range of a dozen Turkish rifles. Patiently the little donkey would would um, wait undercover while Simpson crawled through the thick scrub until he was within striking distance. And then a lightning dash and he had the wounded men on his back and was making for cover again. And in those fierce seconds, he always seemed to make a, a bear a charmed life. Well, unfortunately, not many days after that, his charm stopped because he was shot, as was his donkey eventually as well. And both were killed um, on the 19th of May, 1915. He was only 22 years of age, but he gave his life and he was an incredible example. And you know what? There was a command went out that day. No more medics on the field. He ignored the command. He gave up the entitlement. He was entitled to go. But you know, he gave it up and he went out and he saved another man's life. We've got to give up. You see, you can hold on to what, this is mine. This is my entitlement. I'm, I, you know. Folks, Jesus Christ set the example. People like Simpson and his donkey set an incredible example. Give it up give up our rights sometimes and that's what the christian faith is all about sometimes it's just giving up what we think we deserve and what everybody owes us no one owes you not even god we owe everything to god change your mind frame change your thinking here's the third thing and we'll finish with this another attribute of this roman officer he had a belief that jesus could do it when the officer said lord i'm not worthy to come in you to come in my home just say the word just say the word god and it'll happen, just say it, I believe in that, I, because I have, and then he gives the explanation, as I've said, I tell officers, I tell men under me to do it, and they do it, people over me tell me what to do, and I do it, I'm, I, so surely, you're a man of authority, Jesus, just say the word, and it'll happen, and Jesus said, great faith, great faith, better than any other person I've ever seen in Israel, do you re realize this Roman centurion had learned that the men that the men above him he could trust when they gave him a command that they could trust him and he could trust them and he'll go and do it and the men below him that he told to give a command he trusted that those men would do it he, do you, the commanding officer learned how to trust jesus called it faith the commanding officer knew he could trust men above and below him he he, he learned that through the army and now he, he you know he had great trust that jesus would heal 
Jesus called it something else. He just called it faith. He got great faith, mate. So we need to see the reality is, is that, um, that our Heavenly Father wants us to simply trust. God will call it faith or whatever He wants to do, but, you know, to trust God. And I was thinking about what I need to trust God. I need to trust Him. You know, when we, we need to have faith, you know, when we don't, we ask God for something and we don't get the answers or we don't get it when we want it. You know what? We've got to trust God that He actually has our best interest at heart and it's okay. He's got it. Yet we want it and it doesn't happen like we want it or it doesn't happen in the time frame. Folks, if we would just then refocus and say, God, I'm going to trust you anyway. Do you know, um, may we be big enough to understand the requests that never get answered are probably the requests that if God answered them would do us some harm. It's just that we can't see it yet. That's trusting God anyway. Something in your heart you really want, I really want, I really want, never comes. Maybe we've got to trust God that it was, a, it was a desire that was never going to be good for you. Would you be so close to God and in His presence that you could trust Him for that? Trust Him. This Roman officer trusted Him. So, as the musicians come, we understand, why was this Roman officer so, so you know, was so different to all the rest? Why was he so different? As we celebrate soldiers and men and women and people who went to war in these next couple of days. Why was this Roman officer, the unknown soldier, don't know his name, but why was he so different to the rest that Jesus would say, you're better than anybody else in this country at the moment? Man, your faith is incredible. Why did he say that? I want to say this because he had great kindness for others. Great kindness. He understood what he was entitled to do and he, and he, and he understood that he could sometimes give up that entitlement for the betterment of others and helping others. And he also had a great faith and trust in his heavenly Father. Jesus called it trust. He just believed that God believed that what he asked would be done. Now, this morning, I was just contemplating all the, the wonderful men and women who have served their country, served Australia, served New Zealand, and served in the countries. I mean, even in the Philippines, incredible hundreds and hundreds of Filipinos. I understand about the wars in Leyte and the Second World War. I've been to General MacArthur's monument there in Leyte many, many times and saw where the Filipinos suffered under the hands of, of Japanese. Of course, we love the Japanese people now. <coughs> but we've all faced wars. And uh, some of our relatives and loved ones have maybe gone to war and passed away. I had an uncle, of course, who's, who's been killed in the, in the Second World War, and, and many of us have testimonies of that. But when I think about some of the wars of Australians and New Zealanders particularly, I think about the Australians who fought on the Western Front in 1916 at Fromelles and pushed back the, the Germans at Fromelles in France. I think, of, I think of the 800 Australian light horsemen who rode it to Bethsheba in, in such a heroic act and pushed back the Turks and liberated the Jewish people from Bethsheba. And that was 19, what was it, 1917. And then in 1942, about all the young men who went to Kokoda and Papua New Guinea with very little training and yet held off the Japanese from flooding down through Papua New Guinea in, into the top end of Australia. I think about those guys and I think how heroic in women those women were. Amazing, 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 amazing. Giving so much. And we could talk about them, but behind every battle there's been a story 
there's been a story, and the, this Roman officer was not known for his military expertise or his heroic acts. He wasn't known for any of those things. Maybe he had some, but I want to tell you his most heroic act was reaching out and loving his servant. I tell you, that's, that's heroism in God's eyes. When you reach out and touch and love people that just aren't unlovable and don't, don't deserve it maybe, but you just do what Jesus would do. I tell you what, you're a hero in God's eyes. Because this Roman officer didn't actually produce any heroic acts that we know of, but what he did was amazing. He had attributes that flowed from his strong conviction of what he believed and what he trusted and even his faith in God. So what's your story today? What statue would you build about your life and say, this is what it looked like? And maybe more, the truth is, what will be on your headstone? I think I'd like the words simply that he just pleased his God and was obedient to his commander. That'd be great. That'd be great, wouldn't it? So can we stand this morning as we close our service?